I think sometimes when we sing words like we've just sung, the, the who Jesus is in the song before, sing about his love for us in this song, that sometimes well, I'm tempted at least to hold back a bit from singing that with all I got because there's still part of me that believes, well, maybe all of this is too good to be true. Right, because for a lot of us in life, life tends to knock you down a bunch of times and then you start, you really stop believing in that something can be good. <laughs> something can be as good as we dream it could be. And I think for a lot of people, they come into church and they sing these songs and like, well, I, I just don't know. And I'll sing it and it's nice and it makes me feel good, but is it really that good? That we have a God who rose from the grave, a God who loves us with everything he's got, a God who, who has the power change things. Well, I think there's a story Jesus tells to try to illustrate who our God is and help us to understand a bit more. And so find in Luke 15, many of you have heard it, but he tells a story about a father who has two sons. And one day one of the sons decides he wants to leave home, take half the inheritance from his dad, and just go do what he wants to do. And in that day, to take half the inheritance was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Right, And then take his stuff and go. And then he spent all that money on nightclubs and women and drugs and whatever else he could find in that day. And then after all of that, there's a famine that comes in the land. All his money dries up. He has nothing. And so he goes to just works to feed pigs for a farmer, which is about as low as you can get, especially for a Jewish man. And in that moment, he realizes, well, I got one option, I guess. I believe it's too good to be true that my father will take me back as a son. So instead, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be a hired servant. I'm going to beg my dad to take me back as a hired servant. So he makes the long trek home. And when he's invisible distance, his dad sees him. His dad's been waiting for him. His dad longs for him. And his dad hikes up that robe, twists it to the side, I can imagine, and starts running as fast as he could to get to his son. And when he gets to his son, what his son expects is a scolding because it's too good to be true that he'd be able to be embraced and loved. But what he meets instead is a surprise that changes his life as that the father embraces him, loves him, kisses his dirty little face, and puts a ring on his finger and throws a party for him. And Jesus is trying to say to us the story, he's not too good to be true. That is who your heavenly Father is. He meets you with love. He meets you with wide open arms. But go to Him. Go to Him. Put it all down. And just go to Him. And you're going to find that He is who He says He is. Even if it may be hard to believe based on what you've seen in this world. God, there is no one like Him like we just sang. Amen, everybody. So Lord, I pray. That if anybody in here is reserved or holding back from truly singing, truly leaning in and receiving your love today, God, that, that you surprise them with your goodness and your love this morning. That you show them today just who you are. And that they might have the willingness to receive and believe that this morning. And then lay it all down and just go to you. God, thank you that you tell us that you are ready to embrace us. 
that your love for us is better than anything this world can give. And you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, open our hearts wide. May we come to you and find that, and when we do, I know we will find you as a loving father that you are. So come have your way today, God. We open our hearts wide. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys may have a seat. Have a seat. It is so good to see your all's faces today, uh, to be able to worship with you. Um, I needed that worship team. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, as always. Yes. They put a ton of work in prepping every Sunday. So, man, thank you guys for what you do. All right, I'm pumped because we get to start a new sermon series today, um, which I'll explain in just a moment. But first, I was talking to a friend not too long ago uh, who was going through some tough times. And in the midst of all of that, he was sharing his story with me and started sharing about how he grew up in church and he still likes some of the ideas of God and stuff that he had as a kid. But at that point in his life, he just didn't really feel like it was all that relevant to him. And because he was open to me, and I could see like we had some trust built there, I decided I was going to share my story of how I came to know Jesus, and how Jesus had humbled me with his grace, and how Jesus had, had shown me a love unlike anything the world had ever known. And it, it, was, it was sweet. Like, it wasn't a sales pitch. He shared his story with me. I was just sharing my story with him. And I could tell he was listening. And then after all of that, he responded to me and said, man, that's great. As long, I guess as long as we believe in something, that's good. Now, how many of you have heard somebody say a statement like that before? As long as you believe in something, that's good. Yeah, I mean, that's most of us in this room. Most of us. We've heard something like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Jesus, Allah, a spiritual energy that unites the universe, or Taylor Swift, right? Like, it's, it's all good. It's all good. As long as it gives you a feeling of hope, it must be good. Maybe some of us have said it. Perhaps others of us in this room, you've been talking to a friend yourself. And then all of a sudden they say, well, I'm glad you believe what you believe. That's good for you. And it's like it just shuts down the conversation. We don't really know what to say. And about years ago, I was talking to a different neighbor, a different person uh, locally. And I, somehow the topic of faith and Jesus came up. And we, I started sharing again my story. And she said those exact words to me. Well, good for you. I'm glad you believe in something. And I froze. I was like, I don't know how to respond to that. And so it looked like I agreed with her. But I was like, I, I just walked away. That's why I because, because sometimes we don't know what to say. So how do we respond in moments like that? For reasons I'll explain in a moment. This idea that it's, it's good as long as you believe in something is, is growing. It's becoming even more prevalent. You have faith in Jesus? Good for you. Like you have faith in something? Good for you. Does it give you the feeling of hope? Great. But as followers of Christ and those who, who see this is God's word, like we know that it actually does matter what we believe, doesn't it? It does matter. So how do we respond to that idea? Well, today we are beginning a new sermon series through an, a letter in the New Testament called 1 John. 
And while the author of 1 John isn't explicitly stated, there are several early church fathers that in their writings tell us that it was written by the Apostle John, as in the same disciple who walked with Jesus, who experienced his life, and who wrote the Gospel of John, the longer version earlier in the New Testament. And this letter was written... Uh, ultimately, uh, in, when Christianity was still a very young movement to a bunch of churches scattered across what is modern-day Turkey. And one of the reasons why he writes this is because there were many false teachers spreading twisted ideas about who Jesus was and wasn't, and it was causing a ton of confusion in the church. And so John, with this heart, this love of a pastor, writes this letter to a lot of these confused churches. He says, so that they may know that they have eternal life, and ultimately, they may know who Jesus is. So he writes this to show us that it actually does matter what we believe. Because we're not just looking for a feeling of hope. We're looking for that which is the fulfillment of of hope. And so with so much love, John testifies to the churches then and to us today, this is who Jesus is. And this is why you can be certain of it. So where am I going to go today? Well, first, we're going to look at the question, when people say, it doesn't matter what you believe, what's the belief underneath that statement, ironically? And second, why does it matter what we believe about Jesus? And third, why is it so important that we get this? So important that we get this. I hope by the end of today, or maybe in a week or two, you see how much I love First John, and that you learn to love it too. So we're going to start by looking at First John chapter one, verse one. If you want to look in your own Bibles, John, First John is toward the back of the Bible. It comes right before Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. Um, if you want to look in the Bible app, feel free to open the Bible app to 1 John, those blue Bibles in front of you. Um, it's on page 985, the bottom of page 985. But join me. You can also follow on the screen. But as we open 1 John, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds. That your word will be used to transform our lives, not just inform our heads, but open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just reading through verse 4. Last week we covered three chapters, so four verses is kind of nice this week. All right, so 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Everybody say joy complete. complete. All right, we'll get there in time. But first, when you hear somebody say something like, Man, it's all good as long as you believe in something. Ironically, there is a belief underneath that statement. That statement may sound neutral, polite, uniting even. And oftentimes it's meant as such. But whether it's obvious or not, there is a belief underlying it. What is it? 
And as this idea is growing in popularity in our country, man, it's important that we understand this and we understand how to respond. Because it's also, as I'll show in a second, caused a ton of confusion in the church in America too. So what is the belief underneath the statement that it's all good no matter what you believe? Well, an increasing rate of people today believe that nothing can really be known about God. What's the belief there? That nothing can be really known about God. And if so, if many people believe that, well, we can't really know who God is, then it's all good. Whatever you believe, whatever that person believes, you know what, as long as it gives you the feeling of hope, great. But those who believe God can't be known are commonly referred to as agnostics. You may have heard that phrase before. Agnostic is, is derived from the Greek phrase agnosis, which means without knowledge. And we got to talk about it because the number of people claiming to be agnostics, or at least moving away from any organized religion, is growing year over year in our country. A well-respected research group called the Pew Resource, Research Center studied the trends of America over 10 years, from 2011 to 2021. And their results showed that in 2011, there was 78% of Americans identified as Christian, while 16% said they had no affiliation with religion. Now, when I say identified as Christian, like, like different people may mean different things by that, but that's what they would claim to be. And 16%, those unaffiliated, unaffiliated can also include those who are, are atheists, but a majority of them would be uh, called agnostics. But here's what was shocking to me. I'm not sure how well people in the back can see this chart, but at least you can see the line going down and up there. <laughs> that in just 10 years, they said the nation went from 78 to 63% who identified as Christian, and from 16 to 29% who identified as religiously unaffiliated. Now, some of you may say, well, that's still a lot of Christians. But, I, but the thing is, look at the rate of change. That's what I want us to focus on. Because the next question, obviously, is like, what's causing such a sharp change for those who, who claim God can't be known? What is leading to that uptick in those who ultimately step away from any sort of religious system or belief? Now, I should note that when you're talking to somebody personally, it's always wise to ask questions and not assume you know why they believe what they do. But that said, there are several factors that contribute to these trends. First, Suspicion of religious institutions. That over the last 20 years especially, there have been religious, national religious scandals, church hurt. They've seen the way that religion has been used to gain power instead of serving the good of society. Those things have caused a lot of people to just reject belief systems altogether. And because that trust has been broken, they decide to take a step back and say, well, we can't know. Or second... In an increasingly divided world, for many, agnosticism seems both honest and humble. Because when everybody seems polarized and, and fighting, thinking they're all right, it feels more honest to just say, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure. Or we can't know. Can't we just respect each other across different beliefs? 
for many people, that is their motivation. But third, agnosticism also gives freedom to explore reality without pressure. If I'm not a part of a church, if I'm not a part of a belief system, I don't have anybody actually holding me accountable. I can, I can just kind of explore reality on my own, and our society celebrates individual expression, so go for it. So for these reasons and more, people are increasingly choosing to conclude, at least concerning God, well, I don't know, I can't know, or I don't want to know, please leave me alone. <laughs> right? And a lot others have deconstructed the faith that their parents have taught them, but they may not construct anything else in its place. But what I want us to see is, is that this isn't just something that's happening out there. But unfortunately, the rise of the agnostic ideas has led to much confusion and uncertainty among Christians too. I got one more group of stats for you, and this is my last but according to a different study, this time put on last year by a group called Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research Group, they were just polling those who claim to be evangelical Christians. So people who believe like us. At least we assume so. This was shocking to me. But this is the result of their study. They said 38% of people who claim to be evangelical Christians think religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. In other words, they say 38% believe as long as you believe something, that's cool. Does that not surprise anybody else in here? And the second thing, just a couple more. They said one in four evangelical Christians, 26% surveyed, they said that the Bible contains stories about ancient myths, but it's not literally true. It's not historically true. 43%, that is almost one in two, said they believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Now, is that not shocking? It is to me because these have been the core tenets of Christian faith for two millennia. But it gives us some insight into a lot of the confusion inside the church in America. And so we realize this letter of 1 John isn't just for those in John's day. It's for ours too. It's for the church today. And so as we turn back to John's words, how did he begin his letter to churches that were facing a lot of confusion. What assurance does he give for why he knows that we can know who God is? What does he say? Well, in essence, he says, the eternal God made himself known to the world in Christ, which changes everything. And if you or someone you know claims that we, we cannot know God or believes that we cannot know God, then I want to encourage you to look honestly at John's words. Because John's saying, wait, no, we certainly can know who God is. Well, how? Well, for him, that all begins with the question of who is Jesus? Start there. Who is Jesus? And if you or you know somebody who is struggling with all, like, with, with who claims to be agnostic, like, start there. Say, who did Jesus claim to be, and who do you believe Jesus is? At least start there. Because John says, he says, undoubtedly declares that Jesus wasn't just a man, but he was God. He was God. 
That's why he starts his letter with these words, that which was from the beginning. Now, what does that mean? Well, he says in verse 2, he says that the Christ was the one who was eternally with the Father. What does that mean? Well, you got to go back to some of other John's writings. Because if you go back to his account of Jesus, he starts it very similarly. That John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, meaning that was who, who calls Christ in this instance. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's an echo of Genesis 1.1. It's how the whole Bible starts. In the beginning, God created. Now, put all that together, and you see that for John, especially as a Jewish man, this is a bold claim. That he knew Jesus was not just a man, but Jesus was the same one who eternally existed since before the beginning of creation. He's saying Jesus is God. And he's saying it does matter whether you believe Jesus is God or not. Because while other people may say, hey, I think it's fine if we just believe that Jesus was a spiritual man, a good teacher, a good dude, but just a dude like us. But even if you do believe that Jesus was just a good teacher and a respectable man, you have to at least take his claims seriously. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, that's what he called God, except through me. Now that's a pretty gutsy, if not arrogant claim, unless Jesus was God. Because if he was God, he leads to God. And so it's popular to say, man, it's all good, believe what you want. And faith in something may give you the feeling of hope. But can that thing that you believe in, can it actually fulfill that hope? So I can believe that if I launch myself off stage right now, that Carolyn right here will catch me. Right? And that belief may lead to action, as belief should. That if I launch myself off stage... Carolyn will catch me. But if that belief can be quite damaging, if she doesn't, right? I'm sure you're strong enough. You can probably do it. But I'm just saying, if she doesn't, like that belief can be damaging. And so we see in the rest of life, we don't... saying, if you fling yourself onto me by faith, he said, you know that you will live forever. But that wasn't just a promise because then Jesus willingly went to death and then did as only God could do and then he rose from the, from the grave, showing that he's the man who not just promises, but he fulfills his promise. And if he is God, that means most undoubtedly he leads us to God. It does matter what we believe. But not only was Jesus God, but equally important, John declares that he personally knew and experienced Jesus in the flesh. And others today believe, well, you know, 
whether all of this is true or not, it's fine, right? Like, if they're just good stories, like the good stories can still inspire us. They can still lead us to want to forgive each other and, and hold on to hope. And, and I don't know, like even if they're all myths, like Jesus still loved the unlovable, so like we can do that too. But John, again, insists, John, 1 John 1, 1, he says, no! He says, I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. He said, I experienced, he says, he appeared and I saw it and I'm testifying to you that that Jesus walked this world. He's a fact of history. That for John, he heard Jesus' words as they exposed his sinful soul. He saw the love in Jesus' eyes. He felt as Jesus stooped down to wash his dirty feet the night before he was crucified. Then John watched As Jesus was drugged like a criminal before Pontius Pilate, he held Mary, Jesus' mother, as they saw Jesus crucified. He heard Jesus' final words, it is finished. But finally came the moment that John couldn't believe. And there's no way he'd be talking here unless he saw it. Because then he heard Jesus was alive. How? Because John heard. He saw. He touched the living, resurrected Christ himself. So that's why he can say, I proclaim not an idea to you, not a story to you. I proclaim what I have seen and heard. And why does that matter? Because if all these are are just stories, then that's all they were ever will be, stories. But it, and they can inspire us, but they make no difference to our eternal reality, do they? And if not for Jesus, honestly, I'd probably conclude that agnostics were right. God showed us some things, but he remains mostly hidden. But if Jesus came and he was God, that means God made himself known. That we can know him. That to hear and see Jesus was to hear and see God himself. A mere story is nice, but it doesn't change our eternal reality. But if God entered history, died in our place, and rose from the grave, and all of this is historical fact, then we too will share in the eternal reality by faith in him. Many beliefs can give us the feeling of hope, but there's only one Savior who can fulfill our hope. We all believe in something. We all trust in something. But can that thing that we trust save us? That's the better question. So John says, if you think God cannot be known, I want you to look at Jesus and think again. But if I treat John's letter just as information about Jesus, then I missed the true beauty of it. Because just as there's a massive difference between knowing about a new Ferrari and driving one, there's a vast difference between thinking about Jesus and knowing Jesus. John isn't just telling us about Jesus, but he wants us to experience and to know Jesus. There's something that he wants us to move from here to here as he tells us this. Because he's trying to show us this whole time that God's loving desire is to be united with you so that you could discover the highest joy in him. John's letter is not a textbook on religion, but it's an invitation of love to you. That he's saying that out of his love for you, 
God wanted to be with you so fiercely that despite the glories of heaven, he took on human flesh to move closer. He said he appeared, John said, and I witnessed it. But just being near was not enough. For God's love compelled him to go even closer. But how could a holy God move near unholy people? Only if that God would willingly pay the penalty for our sin with his life to forgive us and then rise again so that we might live with him forever. And that is exactly what he did in Christ. Which means that by faith in Christ, we, we have, John says, fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ and therefore fellowship with one another. I know fellowship is a churchy word. But we use it because it's more than just relationship. Fellowship means, that original word in the Greek koinonia means a very intertwining of our being with the being of God. That by his Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us because of what Christ has done. You see, out of infinite love for you, God moved as close as possible through the work of Christ. From heaven to earth, from earth to your heart, his pursuit of you didn't stop until he could dwell with you, in you, and you with him forever. That's how much he craves to be with you. Do you see that? And John said, why? Where's all this headed? He said, ultimately, I write all of this so that once you know God, your joy may be complete. That in fellowship and united being with the God who made us and the God who loves us, what's the ultimate outcome? The fulfillment of joy. That when we know Christ, we know that everything is headed toward that day of complete joy and we get to taste even bits and parts of it now. So why does it matter who Jesus is? Because only when you see who he is can you begin to grasp the depth of God's love for you and the joy of knowing him. But hey, instead of just taking my word for it, I want to invite up a good friend of mine. His name is Chris Record to share his story with you. Everybody give it up for Chris. Like John, Chris has lived this. He's experienced this. And what's wild is all this has been like in the last year. So like all of this is so real what God has been doing. And so I want him to share his story with you. To see, man, this is not just ideas. But we have a living God who's at work in people's lives. Go ahead, Chris. Thank you. So one of the things you had just mentioned that we like fiercely seeks us out. And for 36 years, that's exactly what I was doing. I, was tr- I wasn't seeking him. I was just seeking a solution or an answer to like explain what my life was like. See, Christians would tell me that God is love, God is mercy, he's justice, he's all these beautiful things, and he's just amazing, this great being that loves me no matter what. If that was the case, if that was true, why did he allow the things to happen to me that happened to me when I was a kid? Why did he allow 
my, my, my mother to be a prostitute? Why did he allow my father to just be non-existent? We don't know who he is. Why did he allow us to be homeless? Why did he allow me to be beaten by so many different people? Why did he allow me in and out of foster homes? Why did he allow me to be passed around from family member to family member like a diseased dog? No one wanted to claim me. Why did he allow that if he was all those good things? Explain that. What do I do? I, I, I start getting older. I start using drugs because I, need to, I just need to numb this, man, because I can't live like this. I can't live knowing that from the day I was born, I was rejected by my own family. I can't live like that. I don't want to live like that. I get into recovery. I start seeking out what God is for me, right? I just, what I was looking for was a definition, something to explain why my life was the way it was. So that's what I did, right? I, I spoke to rabbis, I spoke to gurus, I spoke to uh, uh, pastors, preachers. I went on spiritual retreats. I did the little crystals thing. My uncle's a, a, a witch. Like I tried all of these different things to just try to make sense of why this is happening to me. What did I do to deserve this? I was just born. I didn't ask to be born. Why am I being punished? I needed someone or something to explain this. And that's when I found Buddhism. That explained it for me. There's this thing called Karma. That word, when you translate it to English, means action. All right, it's, it's mental, it's verbal, and it's physical. My actions, positive or negative, determine positive or negative outcomes, right? So if I want a bigger paycheck, I work overtime, I get a bigger paycheck. That makes perfect sense. That's super logical, right? Everyone can agree with that, at least. That's what I was looking for. The word Buddha, translated in English, means a fully awakened mind, God. And the whole purpose of Buddhism is saying if you do enough positive, enough good, you can be like God. I don't know anything about the Tower of Babel. But that's what I believe. If I do enough, the bad will stop. And it worked. It worked great for like 15 years. And then it stopped working. The depression came back. I got really sick with my health. My grandmother was dying. She was living with me. I was trying to get her in a nursing home, and it's just, I just needed this to end. I'm like, if I can get her safe, if I can just make sure she's safe, then I can finally kill myself, and this pain will just be over because I'm done. I'm done. I've tried everything out there. I've tried therapy. I've tried medications. I've tried various religions. I've read all kinds of stupid books and went on retreats. I've tried these things, and they didn't work, so I'm just done. I'm done. It's over. Make sure she's safe, and then I'm, that's it. I'm checking out. That's when he showed up. So here's, here's the thing, like, when you seek God or you try to prove or disprove God, if you do that with all of your heart, like, there's nothing left in here. I've got nothing left to lose. It's just pure pain and pure desperation. That's what I called out from. That's what I was asking for someone or something to please help me. That's what I needed. That's when he showed up. He didn't show up when I went to church because I was forced to. He showed up when I was begging him from a point of desperation that I just need you so much. Whatever you are, whoever you are, please help me. Give me a reason to live. I ended up emailing Trinity Church in Bedford, Mass. Not, there's no affiliation. And I, I sent a, an email to the pastor. I'm like, hey, listen, can I go to your church or a service here? Take a notebook so I can take some notes, ask some questions. They were thrilled. So I did that. I got five pages of questions. That was on the Sunday. I met with him on, on Wednesday. Three hours later, I just had more questions. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So he was like reading stuff to me from the Bible, and it was like an, a foreign language, but it was still written in English. I did, I, none of it made sense to me. I'm like, what is happening here? 
So he said, go to the Bible study on Thursday night. He goes, but listen, this Bible study is for people that want to become preachers. It's not like, here's a, here's a theme, like here's God's love. No, it's, we're going to break down every single verse that we read, and we're going to talk about the Hebrew or the Greek that's in it, the context. Like it's, not, it's not something a new believer would really want to be at. But he didn't know how else to help me, so he says, just try it out. So I go there on a Thursday night. They're reading 1 John. Wait, there's more. <laughs> so they're reading, they're reading 1 John, and the guy that's leading it relates it back to John 13. So if you don't know what John 13 is, I'm going to paraphrase it. I strongly suggest you read it if you haven't. But it's about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Right? He takes off his robes, fill of fills a basin with water, gets on his knees, and he starts washing the feet of Simon. And Simon, his reaction is perfect, right? It's priceless. He says, Lord, you wash my feet. Like, I am not worthy of this. What are you doing? How can you love someone like me? How can the creator of the universe love me, know me? That's what Jesus does for Simon. And his reaction is exactly how I felt. Exactly how it felt. So I'm, they're reading that. And I'm sitting there. I get a baseball hat on. My head's down. My eyes start filling up with tears. The tears start coming down. I want to wipe them away, but I can't move. I want to leave this room because whatever's happening is so uncomfortable and scary. What was happening was I was being hugged from the inside out. That was, that's what's happening, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just all over it. Like, in Ezekiel, right, Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak, the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Like, that's exactly what he was doing, right? He sought me out. And that feeling that I felt, I love Ezekiel. I don't know if you know that, but it's 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will fill, and I will, in a new spirit, and I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. That's what I felt. That's what I felt. Those are promises. Those are promises of God, and that's what he gave me. That's exactly what he did for me. I can tell you with full confidence who my father is today, and I can tell you that my logic didn't lead me to God. It was God that led me back to God. I just had to ask, but I had to be sincere. And I'm going to keep writing. I'm done. Buddy, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Love you, man. Yes. Oh, my word. And I will tell you, I will tell you, it is walking with him these last number of months, it has been amazing to see how God is in a transformative work in his life. Like the, the thing that got me so much about his story is trying to seek God through logic but ultimately finding, getting to the end of himself and so that God finally re sought him and woke up his heart with love. And so I want to encourage you, if you do not know Christ, if you do not know Christ, then I want to challenge you. Say, God, show me who you are. Jesus, show me who you are. Because when we finally get to the end of ourselves and we just say, God, I want to know you, he will show you who he is. Just ask. And if you want to talk to anybody about what that means or like, how do I give my life to Christ, man, come find me after service. Find members of our prayer team up here after service. We would love to talk with you. But for everybody else in here, I know that you may hear Chris's story and think, oh, he has a story. But so do you. 
Right? If, if Christ has changed your life, you have a story too. You have a story of who you were before, how he met you, and who you are now. All right? And, if, and if, if knowing Jesus has filled us with joy, the most loving thing we can do is share it. We, we don't have to be perfect, because the Lord knows I'm not. And somehow I get up here every Sunday. And the Lord also knows that some days I don't feel joy. Sometimes I, I, I get it underneath my feelings more than I should. But that doesn't change the reality of what God has done for you. And the fact that we never earned it. But it's a effect of what Christ has done in love for you that we are his. That is reality by faith in him. And our stories are powerful because they're not intellectual arguments, are they? We think, I, I don't know what I'm going to say or how I'm going to respond. Listen, just what's your story? You can share that. And we share that because we want people to know the love and the joy that we have. Right? Right. So if you could, stand with me. And I'm just going to pray into that as a church. Lord, I pray. Well, first off, God, I just want to thank you for Chris Record. I want to thank you for, for the marvelous work you have done, are doing, and will do in his life. That what he shared with us this morning is such a beautiful story, but I know it's just the beginning of the story, of the ways that you're going to use him and his story to change other people's lives. That it'd be a conduit through which your grace and your love will, will flow into people's lives. But Lord, that's, that's true of everybody in here. If any of us, if we hold the very life of Christ within us because we believe, then, then you've given us the authority to go share our story. And we can trust that you and your power will open people's hearts. So Lord, I pray that you begin to just put people's faces or names in our minds. People that, that we can share our stories with. And God, if, if we can't share our story with certain people, may you just give us trust. And may you, you help us to listen to their story so that we can build trust, not as a sales pitch, but because we want people to know the love and the joy that we know. God, because this is real and has made a real difference in our lives, has changed our lives, I pray that you work through us as your people uh, to reach others too. And not just about so we can bring more people to church, but so that we can be used by you to see more people come to know you. God, that is our heart. That is our heartbeat. And so, Lord, thank you for the ways that you're using us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.